Well, it is now time for the preaching of the word. Uh, so if you would, grab your Bibles, turn them with me to the book of Galatians. Um, in case you are unaware by now, we are celebrating today Reformation Sunday. Um, I know it's a, a common thing to think of what happened yesterday or, or yesterday's day as Halloween, but for those of us in the Protestant world, it is also, uh, and I would say more so, a special day in that we celebrate uh, the Protestant Reformation, which is kind of the, the theme, the driving force of what we're going to be talking about today. Um, but before we do that, I do just want to give another thanks. Um, so if you guys haven't noticed, Matt is not here this week. And I say if you haven't noticed because I think things have gone really smoothly without Matt here this week. Uh, and that honestly would not be possible were it not for just the awesome work that's, that you see being done before you by the volunteers um, between Camden and Leah leading us in worship. We're so thankful for that. Uh, to Jacob back there on the slides. Ian is like taking charge of the live stream. I know nothing about it. So like it's up to him solely and, and the guys that have helped me with the liturgy today. It's such a, it's honestly a blessing. Like as I've been just sitting here this morning, uh, just seeing all of this kind of happen, I've been so encouraged and so blessed at the life of our church uh, because Matt's not gone very often. Uh, he really is not. He's here a lot of Sundays. And I feel like the weeks when he is gone, uh, a lot of times for, for myself and for Robert, it can be terribly overwhelming because Matt does a lot around here. I don't know if you know that, but he does a lot. And so when he's gone, it's, it's left to, to Robert and I to kind of pick up the slack. Um, and I think this is probably, you know, of all the times Matt's been gone, there has never been a time when I have just felt more, I don't know, just relaxed and like it's out of my hands than, than this week. So to all of you, I just want to say thank you and, and thank the Lord for the way he's blessed our church with um, with a congregation that is here to serve and uh, and to commit to um, to the, this worship service here today. So thank you for, for all of you who are volunteering and helping us today. Uh, we hope that Matt can enjoy his time on vacation, not being here. Uh, so his time with his family, which he deserves. Uh, so today as we begin, um, my title for today is Seeing the Reformation Through 2020 Glasses. And we will be primarily camped out in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, um, although there will be other passages that we consider. But I think if you hold your finger there, you'll kind of be where we will spend most of our time today. So I want to start by reading Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 for us. It says this. This is Paul speaking to the church in Galatia. O foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, 
Cursed be anyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today over the reading and the teaching of your word. And ask, Lord, that as we come to, um, to this particular Sunday, where we celebrate something that is so significant in the history of the church and the life of the church, that we would see it for why it was so significant. That we would see the issues that are at stake in the gospel, in what was at the heart of the Reformation. And that, Lord, we would see the value, the treasure, the truths revealed in your word that were not only good for the reformers in the 1500s, but, Lord, are also good for us today. And I pray that we would see the value, that we would be blessed today by your word. I pray that you would be with me as I speak, guide my words, and, Lord, may they uh, serve to proclaim the gospel, not to push an agenda. And I pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen. So as we begin, uh, I'll go ahead and give you a uh, kind of a main idea for this week, for our, our sermon today. The main idea, if you remember nothing else, uh, hopefully this is what I am about to impress on you, is that the doctrine of justification by faith alone that the Reformers fought for is essential to the gospel and remains today a necessary doctrine for the true church. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is essential to the gospel and remains a necessary doctrine for the true church today. Now, I don't know about uh, everyone in here, but I know that myself, Robert, uh, Matt, we run with a very particular type of uh, of Christian guys, we run in, in circles that, uh, for the most part, highly value the Reformation. Uh, we greatly value not just the Reformation, but we really um, think a great deal about the men who were kind of the driving force behind the Reformation. And for good reason, I think. These men, what they did was no small feat. It was no small thing to, to uh, engage in this theological argument they were, they were making against the church of the time. I mean, there was, there was the Roman Catholic Church, and like that was it, right? I mean, there was the Orthodox Church, but for the most part, especially in, in Europe and the Western world, if you were in the church, you were Roman Catholic, right? And, and what they did was so significant to, to press away from that, to not just, uh, uh, just desiring to create a church of their own, but to take a stand against the church and the governing authorities of the church at that time. And I know, I think it's partially a guy thing, um, but the guys that I like hang around with, and I know I'm guilty of this as well, uh, we tend to view the Reformation and the Reformers in a very particular light. We view them as like, you know, the BA dudes of the 1500s. Like, these guys were tough, they were mean, they were, they're like, we think about them when we're trying to like get excited, get ready to go, like before we play a football game, we'll like read a Martin Luther quote or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, get us amped up, get us... Get us ready to go, you know, or read Calvin's Institutes if we really want to like, you know, man, this dude was it. And, and we, 
we read their quotes and, and we read their biographies and we just get so, um, I think, enamored with, with who we think these guys were looking particularly at them from our perspective here in 2020. Uh, but it's, I think it's helpful for us to come back to reality. I think it's helpful um, both for the way we view the reformers, but also for the way we, we view ourselves to really put them kind of in perspective of their time and what thing, kind of things were actually happening to them and around them. We think of, of Martin Luther at the, the Diet of, I pronounce it the Diet of Worms because I'm not um, German, so I don't say worms. But um, at the Diet of Worms in 1521, uh, we we have kind of this tremendous scene, one of the defining scenes of Martin Luther's life, right? Where he's standing before the church council, before this diet, these men who were accusing him and, and, and insisting that he recant. And we get from this, this scene, particularly day two of this uh, diet of worms, we get this scene of Martin Luther, kind of one of the greatest moments that we, that we recognize him for, where he said, unless I'm convinced by scripture, and reason, for I do not trust church councils and popes, I will not and cannot recant. Like we have this defining moment that we, we hear this story, and even if you read it or if you watch the Martin Luther film, you just, oh man, it kind of stirs you up, right? You just, it just it fills you with grit and determination, and just you think, man, that dude was awesome. But the reality is, if you really study the history and, and what happened at the Diet of Worms, You'll see that the day before that was a whole different scene for Martin Luther. Certainly a whole different uh, uh, feeling for him as he came to this place uh, and there were all the attention. Everyone knew why he was here and people had come from all over uh, to see him, to rebuke him, to reprimand him, to, to say insults and slurs at him as he came to stand before this church council, this, uh, this tribunal essentially. Uh, and Luther himself, uh, it said, even worried that he had chosen the wrong side. He worried that he was what he was believing was in error, and he thought about the consequences of what if I'm dragging all these other people into error with me. And frankly, he was terrified. And you see that, you saw that, uh, as the, the history books attest in the first day uh, of this scene, where honestly he had a hard time articulating his his thoughts, he, he was shaky, he was uneasy, he was nervous. He, honestly, he was unsure of anything that he was doing. And there's uh, one theologian who, who writes of uh, his prayer that night after the first day of this diet where he just cries out to God. He pours out his soul saying, God, help me or I cannot do this. I have no strength in me to do this except by your strength. Guide me, help me. We, we have this image of guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin and John Huss and these great men of the Reformation, and we view them as, we put them on these pedestals, pedestals view them as impeccable, and honestly, there, there is a slight risk of us even idolizing them to a certain point. And I'm not trying to diminish anything they did. Certainly, that second day, Martin Luther came out swinging, no doubt, by the grace of God, as he would affirm. And certainly these other men who were burned at the stake, who were persecuted, who were, who were put on trial over the things that they were teaching, things that were central truths to the gospel. But we still, we have a tendency to view the Reformation through the lens of where we are at in 2020. 
We read the stories, we read the biographies, we read the great quotes, uh, and we admire these reformers of the 16th century. In fact, uh, you can go find it if you want. I, there is an app uh, where you, it's like a Martin Luther app, and you can literally go to this app, and all it is is Martin Luther quotes. You tap it, and it just produces a new Martin Luther quote, and you just never knew what this guy was going to say or what kind of quote was going to come up on your phone. And we, we view these men as just as um, just these great, you know, strong men of the faith. But there's a dangerous trap that we can fall into if we're not careful, where we remember the reformers, we remember some of their historic proud moments, but we neglect and we forget the doctrines for which they for which they fought and died for. So my hope today is that we'll not just see the men of the Reformation. I think they are worth studying. And I would encourage you on your own time to go and study those men. But my hope today is that we will see what it was they fought for and the value that it still maintains today. We're going to start by looking at why uh, the doctrine of faith alone mattered to the reformers. I've put it in, in our points as why sola fide mattered to the reformers. And if you're unfamiliar with this word sola fide, it's just the Latin word uh, for faith alone. The doctrine of justification by faith alone is commonly summed up in the word sola fide. So I should probably start off, I think, by, by giving us, I think, a workable definition for justification. Justification is the act in which God declares us righteous and therefore acceptable before him. So it is a change in status before God from wicked to righteous, from guilty to innocent. That is a change in status only, as we're going to talk about later. It does not mean that we somehow, upon salvation, upon justification, no longer sin, right? That we are in and of ourselves then righteous, but rather we are declared righteous before God by his justifying work. And this by faith alone, this doctrine of justification by faith alone, or, or sola fide, represents one of the five solas of the Reformation. These were the doctrines uh, that the Reformers saw were at stake and what kind of summed up the argument that they were making in the Reformation. They were uh, sola scriptura, that is scripture alone, sola gratia, grace alone, sola fide, faith alone, sola Christus, in Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. But it was said that this doctrine of justification by faith alone, was indeed the material cause of the Reformation. This doctrine was so sharply and strongly disputed between the Church of Rome and the Reformers that it has led to one of the greatest schisms in the history of the Church. While there were many things going on in the Church at that time that were corrupt and that were wicked and that were despicable practices, that is true, and, and some of those things still exist in the Roman Catholic Church to this day, that was not what was the material, the actual cause of the Reformation. What the leaders of the Reformation continually clashed with the Roman Catholic leaders on was on the doctrine of justification. You see, both camps agreed that the doctrine of justification was a necessary doctrine and that it was a true doctrine. Where they disagreed was on how the doctrine is accomplished in the life of the believer. Or another way of saying this is that on what basis is a person accepted as righteous before God? This is where the dispute really happened. 
Because Rome held to an understanding that says that a person is made righteous by the infusion of grace into the believer through the sacraments. Through, through things like baptism and penance and taking of the mass in the Roman Catholic Church. In their eyes, this would infuse the grace of God into the believer. And by this, a person would obtain righteousness that would eventually become inherently their own. That this would motivate them, that this would change them into one that was righteous. And on the basis of that, their righteousness that they had uh, achieved through grace of the sacraments and faith, this is how they would be justified before God. God would see them, that they were now inherently righteous because of what they had believed and done through the sacraments, and he would justify them at that point. The Reformers understood justification very differently. Unlike the Roman Catholic Church, the Reformers understood our justification to be on the grounds of Christ's righteousness imputed or counted to us. His righteousness credited to our account. See, because we are corrupt in our being to the very core, by nature children of wrath, Ephesians tells us, unable to adjust the scales of God's justice by one inch, by our own merit, or by any deeds done by us. Therefore, the only way that we can possibly be accepted before God is in the ground, on the grounds of a righteousness that is outside of us, a righteousness that is not our own because we can never be righteous. This is why we say that Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, because only by his righteousness Will we be justified by his righteousness alone, obtained through faith alone? This is the difference between the Roman Catholic and the Protestant understandings of justification. And it's no small difference. This is a huge difference. The difference between these two is, is that faith plus works equals justification, the Roman Catholic view, or faith equals justification. Faith plus nothing equals justification. The reformers rightly saw this issue as central to the gospel and therefore necessary that the church get it right. In fact, they believed this so strongly that in their mind, if a Roman Catholic church did not change its position on justification, did not accept justification by faith alone, then it could not truly be called the church. Their logic was simple. First of all, justification by faith alone is essential to the gospel. Secondly, the gospel is essential to Christianity and to salvation. Third, then, the gospel is essential to a church's being a true church. And fourth, to reject justification by faith alone, then, based on everything we've just said, is to reject the gospel and to fall as a church. In other words, any church that rejects the doctrine of justification by faith alone is no longer a true church. This was the claim levied against the Roman Catholic Church by the Reformers. And I believe this claim to be true, and I believe it to be just as important for us today. In contrast... To the reformers, Rome maintained and continues to maintain 
that a person is justified primarily by baptism and secondarily by the, by the sacrament of penance. Rome saw justification, that, saw justification as something that was accomplished by the grace of God alongside our own merits earned through the sacraments. The Reformers, on the other hand, saw that this clearly contradicted the teachings of Paul and the New Testament. Which is why any understanding of this doctrine of justification has to start by looking at what the Apostle Paul had to say about the issue first and foremost. Which is point number two, why sola fide mattered to Paul. In addition to our, our text in Galatians, there's also passages such as Romans chapter 4 verses 22 through 25 where Paul says this. Speaking of Abraham, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It is seen clearly in this passage that righteousness is counted to those who have faith in Jesus Christ whose death, burial, and resurrection are the grounds for our justification. The grounds for our justification, as seen in verse 25 of Romans chapter 4, is on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He was delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. Our justification is not based on our righteousness, on our working, on our deeds, but in Christ's finished work alone. The Apostle Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the righteousness of God, the righteousness achieved by Christ Jesus through his perfect life here on earth and his death on the cross on our behalf, that is the basis of our justification. God does not look at us and see some inherent righteousness in ourselves that has come about through faith plus taking of sacraments or doing of good deeds, but he sees Christ's righteousness counted to us. That's the only basis by which we can possibly be saved. And as Paul has already said, the only way we can achieve that justification, the only way we have access, the only way by which that is counted to us is by faith. You see, the Reformation didn't come out of a vacuum. The doctrines, the truths that the Reformers fought for, especially the doctrine of justification by faith alone, were truths that the Reformers saw in the pages of Scripture. It can rightly be said that the doctrine of sola fide was put forward first by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. The New Testament is saturated with the reality of this doctrine. In fact, John Calvin said that these Trinitine uh, councils that would anathematize us are actually and right, are anathematizing Paul because he is the one who was first put forward the idea of justification by faith alone. They're not anathematizing us in their decrees, but the Apostle Paul. Paul dedicated large sections of Romans solely to this doctrine of, alone with the majority of the book of Galatians as well of which we've already read and we'll consider more now. You see, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul is writing to a church that is 
currently, as he's writing to them, being attacked, being deceived by a false gospel, by false teachers. And in reality, this false doctrine that the church was facing in Galatians was undercutting the same doctrine that the reformers were, the reformers were fighting for in the, 15th, in the 16th century, in the 1500s. It was undercutting the doctrine of justification by faith alone. These false teachers called Judaizers were troubling the Galatian church. They were pushing a faith plus works gospel. These false teachers were teaching that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. The same thing the Roman Catholic Church would affirm. He was indeed the Messiah. However, uh, the only way to gain access to his death on the cross, which was necessary, is if you become a Jew. Is if Gentiles want to find access to the Messiah, they need to become obedient to the Jewish laws and customs, namely baptism, or namely uh, circumcision. This is the same problem that the reformers saw with the Roman Catholic Church. That the Roman Catholic Church had begun perpetuating a gospel that involved justification by faith plus works. This is what Paul is talking about when he says works of the law in Galatians chapter 3. He's talking about the works of circumcision, Jewish customs, Jewish laws. In verses 1 through 5, Paul makes an argument to the church appealing to their experience in Christ. He appeals to their experience. He asks them if they received the Holy Spirit by works or by faith. And the clear answer to this question, Paul knows the answer, they know the answer, they received the Spirit of God by faith alone. By faith alone. There was no preparatory work that was required for them to receive the Holy Spirit. There was no work that needed to be done. You see, the Spirit enters a person. This takes place at the moment of regeneration, when faith is produced in the heart of the believer. That same faith that marks the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit also serves as the means of that person's justification. So Paul is saying, if you receive the Spirit by faith alone, are you now going to be perfected by works? No way. This is what Paul is reminding his brothers of in Galatia. That they did not receive the Holy Spirit, which is our seal, our guarantee of our salvation. They did not receive the Holy Spirit through works. This then prompts him to ask, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And again, the answer to this question is obvious. The answer is no. It's an obvious no. So he then reminds them of, of again, one of his favorite uh, passages in the Old Testament to use as evidence for justification by faith alone, which we've already seen in, in Romans. He points them to Abraham, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness because of his belief, not because of his works. He goes on in the following verses to make the point even more emphatically. Paul says in verse 11, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. He then in the same breath gives the alternative to that option by stating that that in, by stating 
which is the case instead, that the righteous shall live by faith. Paul emphasizes that fact. The fact that faith apart from works is the sole means of our justification before God. Over and over and over again, Paul insists that justification is by faith apart from works. This is the same gospel that he preaches in Romans that leads him to address what he knows will come in Romans 6, where he knows people are going to say upon hearing the, the freedom of this true gospel, he knows people will come back with the question, can we just continue in sin then that grace may abound? This gospel is so free, so available to us through faith alone that Paul knows the complaints are going to come that he already anticipates in Romans chapter 6. But this is the truth. This is the true gospel. Paul recognizes that if the Judaizers and the Reformers recognizes that if Rome seeks to add anything that is necessary for our justification on top of faith, they have lost the true gospel and have ceased to be a church. So the reality is that the doctrine of sola fide finds its root in the New Testament, finds its root really in the Old Testament in Genesis in the story of Abraham. But now we need to understand, and this is, this is what I really want us to hear, is why sola fide matters today. This is point number three. The doctrine of justification by faith alone remains to this day a foundational doctrine to the Christian faith. To this day, if this doctrine is denied, the gospel is denied. If this doctrine is abandoned, the gospel is abandoned. If this doctrine is forgotten, the gospel is forgotten. It is my belief that all three of these things we can see happening today among groups who would claim the name of Christ. We can see clear examples of the doctrine of justification by faith alone being denied uh, easily, first of all, in the Roman Catholic Church still to this day in their official church doctrines deny the truth of justification by faith alone. We see that this separation still exists today between Roman Catholicism and the Protestant Church. To this day, the Roman Catholic Church and its official doctrine still maintains the denial of this true doctrine of justification that the Apostle Paul teaches in the New Testament. This doctrine, without which there is no gospel, is despised and rejected by Rome to this day. And therefore, the Roman Catholic Church continues to hold to a false gospel in its official teaching. And, and I do not make this statement lightly or on a whim or out of my own desire to start a fight or win an argument. But rather, along with the reformers, I believe that the true gospel is to be defined, is to be defended, and it is, it is a false gospel that is to be condemned in whatever form we find it. And that the true gospel maintains, as Paul maintains, that justification is by faith alone apart from works. Especially, this is important for us, uh, for Redeemer Fellowship Church, in a specific context in which we have been placed. In this community where we are. I can tell you from my experience going out into this community, and I would assume most of you who work outside uh, of your home 
know that there are a lot of Roman Catholics in this area. This is a heavily Roman Catholic area. We are located in the midst of a community that is heavily Roman Catholic. Literally, there's like three Roman Catholic churches that are a stone's throw away from us right now that are filled every single weekend. And we have to know, we have to have a correct view of Roman Catholicism because it will have a direct effect on how we evangelize and how we interact with our neighbors. There is a temptation, I know there is, for someone to say that they are Roman Catholic and for us to want to go, well then I guess I don't have to worry about sharing the gospel with you, right? Because you're kind of there, kind of a Christian, I think. The reformers would say that is totally false because they're in a system that holds to a false gospel. We can no more assume that our Roman Catholic neighbors are Christians than we can our Mormon neighbors or our Jehovah's Witness neighbors or our atheist neighbors. Because the doctrine that their church teaches and holds to is a false gospel. If the conclusion that Martin Luther and the other reformers come to is true, that Rome has rejected the gospel by rejecting justification by faith alone, then we must see our Roman Catholic neighbors as lost and in need of the true gospel. And this is as true today as it was in the 1500s. Unfortunately, it would be easy to say that's the only area in which we need to be concerned about the doctrine of sola fide, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. But the sad reality is, it is not just the Roman Catholic Church that is missing this true doctrine. But in fact, we see that this doctrine has been, in many cases, abandoned even among Protestant churches. Although Roman Catholicism provides a clear example of the rejection of this doctrine, it is not the only threat. There are churches and denominations, especially within liberal theology today, that have abandoned the true doctrine of justification, deeming it unnecessary to their mission and to their message. This beautiful doctrine of sola fide, by its nature, implies an exclusivity of the gospel. That is, it is a necessary thing if you are to be saved that you have faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. There is necessarily an exclusivity to the gospel. The same gospel that is too free in the eyes of the Roman Catholic Church is too restrictive in the eyes of the liberal theologian. To insist that faith is a necessary requirement to receive justification before God is simply too limiting to many churches today. This is why so many churches have abandoned this doctrine altogether as unnecessary. And in doing so, they have abandoned the true gospel as well. This is the sad irony of such groups, such churches. I, I put it in quotes because, again, we would not call them churches if they abandon this doctrine. But these churches, in an attempt to make themselves more inclusive, to increase their appeal to the world around them and hope to draw more people in, they lose any value to their message at all. When you lose the gospel, your message has no value. If justification is not by faith alone, but by any means you deem worthy, then your message is pointless and meaningless and applies to no one and will inevitably result in a stagnant, dying congregation. The fact is that saving faith in Jesus Christ is so necessary. It is what makes the gospel message so important. 
Thus, where sola fide is abandoned, the gospel is abandoned. And then finally, we must consider the fact that not only is the doctrine of sola fide denied, not only is the doctrine of sola fide abandoned, but the doctrine of sola fide, justification by faith alone, is in many cases simply forgotten. This is perhaps the greatest danger for true churches today. Not that they would take a Roman Catholic position and outright deny the doctrine. Not that they would look at it and, and say that it has little value and therefore abandon it. But that it would simply be forgotten from our teaching altogether. This is perhaps the greatest danger for our churches today. The fact that the Roman Catholic Church did not start out in its history, the fact is that they did not start out in their history denying the doctrine of justification by faith alone. They simply forgot it over time. The Roman Catholic Church did not start out that way. It was not founded on the doctrine of justification by faith plus works. But it developed over time as this true doctrine, the true and correct teachings of Paul had, were forgotten. As time went on, this glorious doctrine that Paul taught to the Galatians, to the Romans, got covered up with layer after layer of dust. The dust of dogma, of tradition, of apathy. And it was forgotten. It was forgotten. From there, other things sprung up in its place, right? Tradition, church heritage, almsgiving, things that we do. We would be foolish to think the same thing could not happen to us as a church. We would be foolish. The beginning stages of this are already there in many churches today. In fact, poll after poll, survey after survey have been done that indicate that a majority of people in Protestant churches, this is not in Roman Catholic churches, this is not even in mainline churches, but in faithful Protestant churches today, think that their good works somehow contribute to their salvation. That is simply false. How can this be true? This can only be true if we have forgotten the doctrine of sola fide. Without question, the doctrine of sola fide is in danger of being forgotten today if it hasn't already in many churches. As I was preparing for, for my sermon today, I read a title uh, entitled When Our Hearts Revert to Self-Reliance. It's written by a man named Marshall Siegel, and I know nothing about him. I just stumbled across his article uh, on uh, Galatians chapter 3. But I think he says something really insightful. He poses a question. He poses a question. Why do people, even Christians, seem to be seduced by systems that include works? Here's what he says. Quote, Now we might think anyone who has tasted the real saved by grace gospel would spit this back out in seconds. Speaking of the uh, 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 works plus faith doctrine that the Galatians were, were facing. He says, but the Galatian church obviously didn't. Why? Because however wrong the false teachers may have been, their message met a sinful inclination deep inside the human heart. And that is that we all secretly love a gospel that relies on us. We love being the hero or at least a celebrated sidekick. Self-reliance feeds our self-esteem and our self-worth. End quote. As usual, 
The problem is pride. It's interesting to note that, uh, that, as he does, that Paul's words are not to unbelievers. They are not to people he's trying to evangelize to. Paul's words are to the church. They're to believers. Even true followers of Christ were being enticed by this false teaching. And the fact is that we do desire the focus. We desire the glory. We desire a sense of knowing that we played a part. I think especially us here in America today, we, we suffer from this Western ideology of do it yourself. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Uh, you can make the most of it. I mean, the people that we, uh, some of the people that we most kind of idealize are these kind of people. I was talking with Robert one time about Kanye West, how Kanye West, West started out as nothing. Just a guy like in his dorm room making beats. Started out from nothing, but by his own will, by his own efforts and hard work, he rose to be one of, uh, you know, I would say the greatest rapper of our age. I'm not into rap. Greatest rapper of our age? Yeah, producer rapper. I mean, but he grew from nothing, right? And we love these kinds of stories. These guys who, these garage bands who are nothing, but then become like rock stars. These inventors who are nothing, but then by their own effort, they, they shoot up into to fame and, and fortune because their hard work, their determination, and we desperately want to apply that kind of thinking to the gospel. Even believers today, even believers today, we struggle in our confidence, wondering whether or not we're justified because we know our sinful hearts, because we think we haven't done enough to be justified, or that we've done too much that God would never justify us. Even that is, is self-reliance. That is leaning on our own ability, on our own pride. And that is sinful. This points us even more to the importance of this doctrine for the church today. Because the doctrine of justification by faith alone cuts away a human pride. In any other system, whether the system of the Judaizers in Galatia or the system of the Roman Catholic Church, the focus the focus is on us to be sure that we do our part to be justified. Inevitably, that is going to happen. But when we recognize the true gospel, that justification comes by faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone, his righteousness imputed to us, given to us by faith, it immediately directs our focus off of ourselves and onto Christ and his finished work on the cross. That's where our focus should be. If our focus is anywhere but there, we are forgetting the gospel. If we pull the focus away from Christ onto our efforts, we have forgotten the gospel. If we pull the focus off of Christ onto church tradition, we have forgotten the gospel. When we understand that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone, all of the focus... All of the credit and all of the glory goes to God alone. Christ's righteousness is applied to us by faith alone, and his righteousness alone is sufficient for our justification. How dare we think that Christ's finished work on the cross and his righteousness is insufficient for our justification? What boastful, arrogant creatures we are to ever think that. Church, if this doctrine, 
The doctrine of justification by faith alone does not allow you a breath of confidence. I don't know what will. I have just told you that you need to do nothing to earn justification before God. The only thing required to be justified before a holy and righteous God that you have rebelled against and sinned against and are his enemy, the only thing necessary is faith in him. That's it. We need not wonder if we have done enough. We need not wonder if we have enough indulgences or if we have infused enough grace. Christ's righteousness is now, our, is now ours by way of imputation. His finished work on the cross counted for us. So if you are here today and you are still thinking that somehow you have to do what's right in order to be saved, in order to be accepted before God, you are fooling yourself and you will never be saved on that account. Rely on the finished work of Christ alone for your justification and then let us worship him because of it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this glorious, glorious doctrine that you save sinners by faith alone. God, I pray today as we come to the table of the Lord's Supper now that we would recognize that what is represented in the juice and in the bread is your blood that was spilled for us. Your body that was broken for us. Lord, that your righteousness in that moment when you died on the cross, Lord, you achieved for us justification. Our sins were cast upon you and your righteousness has been credited to us. We are so undeserving and so unworthy. And because we know that, Lord, we offer you praise and glory for what you have done for us. Lord, I pray for anyone that is here today that is, that is dealing with uh, this doctrine of justification by faith alone. I pray that you would impress upon their hearts or to see the truth of the gospel. I pray that you would give them eyes to see, ears to hear what you have spoken through your word, through the Apostle Paul, that we can do nothing to earn your justification, but you give it to us freely. It is a free gift. And for that, we offer you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. It's now time for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And here at Redeemer Fellowship, um, uh, we like to make it as clear as possible. We take very seriously the Lord's table.